Hello. How has the pandemic and restrictions on travel affected place-based tourism? What is a destination city like Oxford doing to meet the challenge of bringing tourists and local residents back to the city centre? Welcome to Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast exploring creativity in all its diverse forms. This episode is also part of Oxford Moments, a multimedia blog about Oxford, its people and places. I'm Yang Mei I'm an author and podcaster. My guest today is Oxford City Councillor Mary Clarkson, who is the Council's Labour Cabinet Member for Culture, Leisure and Tourism. She talks passionately with me about bringing together town and gown in Oxford for the good of the local economy, as well as the university that the city is famous for. She also tells us frankly about the challenges for tourism in Oxford due to the pandemic and discusses how the City Council is working with local businesses and residents to encourage visitors back into the city centre. So thank you very much for coming on the Creative Conversations podcast, Councillor Mary Clarkson. Thank you. I'm really, really interested to be doing this. It's the first podcast I've done, so I'm really keen Brilliant. to be part of it. Um, now, you were at St John's Oxford as a student and actually you and I um, overlapped and we both did uh, English, yeah. uh, but we but we never met each other. No. <laughs> um, and then uh, you went off, as many students do, went off to pursue your career in um, away from Oxford in Birmingham and London. Um, what eventually drew you back to settle in Oxford? That's an interesting one because I yeah I worked away and I'm glad I did leave Oxford actually and had a com complete clean break from that academic um, background. But then when I was working in London, I thought, hmm, I'm not sure whether I want to want to live here. And I thought I'm going to commute in from Oxford, which at that stage wasn't quite as common as it is now. And partly because, um, OK, my then boyfriend, now husband, was finishing a doctorate. So that was a bit of a pull. Um, but also I felt it was a more manageable city. It's a smaller city, a more intimate city. And, and, but, but it's also got an awful lot going on. So for a place of its size, you know, you miss half of the things that are going on because, the, you, you know, you just can't get around everything, which is fantastic. Um, so, yes, that's probably why... I came back and then, you, you know, my husband ended up working in London. We were both working in London at one point. And so we had those conversations about should we move to London? And we were never entirely convinced. And then when children came along, we thought, no, this is just an ideal city for bringing up children. Um, it's getting them around the place, um, access to open spaces, great schools, both state and private. Um, it, it, it seemed an obvious place to stay. And then we saw increasingly people we knew were moving out of London when they had children to come to Oxford. So it would seem completely perverse to do the, to, to do the opposite. So, so yeah, so we, we, we stayed here. And am I right in thinking that you have a family connection um, anyway with Oxford? Yeah, I have. My, my mother's um, an Oxford girl and her family were very definitely town. So my grandfather had a timber merchant in Oxford, um, though he did. He, he supplied a lot of the colleges. Um, but it, but he, uh, you know, the family were very much 
town folk, um, though they interacted with the university a bit. And the thing I like best is that my grandfather had a commission to build some gates at Jesus College, which are on the corner of um, Ship Street and Turl Street. Um, and then my um, and they're still there now. And both my brother and sister ended up going to Jesus College. And when my sister got married, she had her pictures taken outside um, college. So that seems to me just to sort of typify the sort of the, the town and gown fusion that we've got in our family. So which I think is rather nice to have a foot in both camps. Um, and one of the things that worries me as a councillor is that for so many people in the city, they feel they have absolutely low links with the university at all. People who perhaps work in the universities as, um, you know, as porters, as cleaners, but they would never think that that university is for them and their families. And that's terrible. Um, I, one of the things I would love to see is that people feel that the university is, is really part of the town. And wherever you come from, whichever part of the city, the university is here as much for Oxford people as it is for anybody from anywhere else in the world. I'd love to explore that a little bit more and perhaps we can come back to that. Um, but I just want to sort of stay with, um, I suppose, your experience. And I think it sort of is quite a good way to, to, to see that you have a foot in both camps, as it were, because you had the family connection. And actually, the next time I'm going to I'm in Tell Street and Ship Street, I shall have a, a, a take a very careful look at, at, uh, at those yeah. at those gates. Um, and so what was it like for you um, having been town um, as, as a young person and then becoming a student? What was that like? So we sort of start with that perspective and then we come back out in, in, into town in, in, in a moment. But just, yes. Yeah, from yeah it, was, it was very interesting. So as a, as a child, and I was actually brought up in, um, in Yorkshire and um, on Merseyside, but we would always come and spend a week in the summer with my grandparents who lived on the Iffley Road. And so my early experience of Oxford was very much of walking down to Iffley Lock, walking along the towpath into town, that part of Oxford, not so much of the university. Um, and then as a student, um, I found myself living in a tiny little area of the city, really, not going outside probably a, a square half mile very, very often. But I would go and visit my grandmother from time to time. And I'd get on a bus in Queen Street and it would take me a quarter of an hour to get up to Ifley Road. And I could have been going 100 miles. I was going in somewhere which is entirely residential, not studenty at all. Um, and, I, I, and I felt I was moving into a different world. And I guess a lot of students in Oxford just don't have that experience. You know, even if they're living out in places like Cowley Road, which is always a popular place for students, they're very much in a student enclave where you know, quarter, half the houses in a street would be student houses. And those are the people you would mix with. Um, so, yes, that was so it, it was that was probably quite, quite unusual, actually. Yeah, it just brings back for me memories of being in Oxford. I was at St Hilda's um, and I in my second year lived out on uh, Ifley Road and then third year in Alma Place off the Cowley Road. Oh, yes. yeah. um, and, and as a student, you're you're very right. I mean, you know, it we were in a little bubble, a little student bubble. You know, we heard the term town versus gown, but mm. um, we never really interacted um, with Oxford 
local people. Um, and I guess, you know, that's probably true of student life anywhere, whether you're on a campus or, you know, in, 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 or in, a, in a sort of mixed environment in other cities. Um, you know, students, you're in your 20s uh, and, you know, you are, you are the bee's knees in your little mind. <laughs> you know, you're the centre of the universe. Um, so it's been interesting for me to come back um, in my 50s um, having lived in London uh, to Oxford and um, I'm in Florence Park and this residential area, it's lovely and, um, and, and kind of getting a feel and I'm walking around getting a feel for the rest of Oxford that's not central Oxford. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been getting, uh, trying to make some new friends, a little tricky in lockdown, but <laughs> I'm managing it um, and meeting, you know, uh, sort of uh, you know, real people, not students, uh, yeah. uh, and and it and everyone is so warm and friendly, and and I think what you mentioned about the lifestyle of a smaller city compared to the the the, the, the sort of um, big intense city um, of of London, um, it is quite uh, quite a delight to be here. Um, so, um, sort of taking that forward then in terms of what you brought up about, you know, townspeople um, and feeling not part of the university. Can you can you speak more about that? And, and what is, you know, is, does the council have a role in trying to um, kind of bring the two aspects together in a more positive way? I think we do. And certainly we work where we can with, with the colleges. Um, we try to persuade them where they can to open up their um, facilities to, to people in the town. We work with them on lots of cultural things. And one, one interesting connection is um, Trinity College. So all the colleges now are linked to a certain part of the country where the, 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 they each have a task in encouraging people from those other parts of the country, which don't traditionally send many students to Oxford, to target those areas and, and, and to build up those, those links. Now, Trinity College has links with Oxfordshire. So um, we've, had, we've had some very useful talks with um, Dame Hilary Balding, who is the, um, the master, I think it's the master of Trinity. Um, and they've been doing a lot of work getting local students, local pupils into, into the town. Um, it, it, it's, it's tricky, I mean, I um, remember speaking to a group of students at the Co College of Further Education a couple of years ago who are doing sort of tourism, hospitality courses. Um, and we said, put your hands up, how many of you come into Oxford on a regular basis? And it was a tiny proportion. Now, admittedly, not all of them were from Oxford. Some of them were from Reading, from Reading but there were huge numbers who were from Oxford and they didn't come into the city centre. If they went shopping, they'd go to Cowley Centre um, and that's that or, or other region, other local centres, but they wouldn't come into the city centre. And I think we do have a task to make it easier to put on activities to make sure the shops are the kind of things that will draw people in um, and will and will stay here. And in coming in perhaps for things like shopping and for cultural activities, they will stay and they will have a look around the colleges and feel that that is not a separate part of the city, but an integral part of the city. So it's tricky. Um, I think there's a lot, a lot that needs to be done in terms of both the university and local people to change minds um, and to move away from this really unhelpful town and gown thing. Um, 
I also think that it would be good for more students to get out into the city. Now, there are some fantastic models. There's a thing called the Oxford Hub, which is... Um, it's basically been an organisation which is a vehicle for getting students more involved in voluntary work out in the community. Um, and I think that's that's really important. I mean, I, th I think some of us in local government get a bit frustrated that Whitehall is full of people who have been educated here, yet they haven't gone outside that narrow half a square mile that I mentioned earlier. And they think, oh, Oxford's great. Oxford's very affluent. So um, why do we need to be giving grants for you know, X and Y, and they've never actually seen with their own eyes some of the glaring inequalities that we've got in the city. So really quite poor educational qualifications in some parts of the, of the city, desperate poverty, and yet also great affluence and, you know, the people who produce the um, Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. So we, another thing we need to work on very much is closing that gap and working with our colleagues in the county council who have responsibility for education to make that gap narrower. And, and again, back to what I said earlier, making sure that um, education is for everybody and it's accessible to everybody. You speak very um, passionately about Oxford and um, and people. I mean, it's really ultimately about people. It doesn't really matter where they are, but your your work is here in in in, in Oxford. Um, so, was that something that you know inspired you to become a city councillor to actually do something rather than just sort of sit sit around and and say, oh, yeah, some, someone should do something? Uh, but actually, you're you, you're going to be part. You know, you wanted to be part of that to do actually take action. I think there were actually two different strands that came together. One was the sense perhaps that I'd been very lucky in life and um, that it's time that I should give something back. Um, as a teenager, I'd been a little bit involved in local politics up in Liverpool and been very interested in a lot of the community grassroots politics there. I sort of left that alone when I was a student. It seemed a bit too esoteric, um, wasn't really my thing. Um, and so I drifted away. Um, I did have a job for a while working for the Institute of Directors in their policy unit and loved that, dealing very much with EU social policy, employment policy, um, going before select committees. And I loved all that national policy stuff. And so I think what came together was both that interest in public policy and also the desire to do something positive for the community um, and perhaps the things that led me to be a counsellor the more intellectual things aren't the things that keep me there now um, if you know if you've got a love for national political strategy yes there are th 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 there is scope for that within um, local government but as a local counsellor a lot of it is about real nitty gritty stuff. And yet some of that stuff, whether it's, you know, cutting through the bureaucracy to make sure that someone gets a council house or to arrange visits from an occupational therapist so that someone with vascular dementia gets a downstairs bathroom, those can be life changing. So, you know, we sometimes underestimate local government, but some of those things that we get involved in have a profound effect on people's lives, um, even if it's just at an individual level. Um, and those are really important. And you know, it's it, those are the things that make it worthwhile, I think, far more worthwhile than the intellectual exercises in, you know, drafting 
a fantastic policy on cultural strategy or whatever important though that is. Because ultimately it's about having an impact on people's lives. And I suppose if you can help one person, that person's life, um, from what you've described, you know, can can be changed dramatically if yeah. they can get the help and support that they need. Um, so as part of your work as a counsellor, um, you're, you're meeting local people and hearing their stories and, 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 uh, and hearing what they need. Um, can you just sort of give us a, a sense of what 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 that involves? Yeah, I mean, there are different ways in which we engage with people. I mean, we do the we do the sort of four four year month four year newsletters, I guess, which is basically just an update. You know, this is what we've been doing. These are the these are the big issues that are coming up. A major planning application here, um, a new residence parking zone there, and so keeping people in touch with with those things. Um, there's always the the door knocking that goes on in the run up to an election, but we try to keep to do that all year round, just go around and, 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 and talk to people. And actually, um, the lockdown was very difficult because we couldn't do any of that face to face stuff. Um, and we tried to do a bit of phone work um, targeting um, vulnerable people so we could just ring them up, check in, check that they got everything they wanted in terms of you know access to medical supplies um people to chat to we did a lot of that um but actually in march when we were allowed to go out again and canvas that was wonderful you know sometimes people find canvassing a bit of a slog but actually it was wonderful because it was great to be out there talking to people and actually to to to, to forge those links which had been weakened over the last year but actually people quite pleased to see us so you know instead of saying oh you know i you know you've interrupted my favorite television program well they've all been watching television for a year and so talking to a real person on the doorstep is a novelty even if it's just a local councillor so actually it was far more fruitful and positive than sometimes it is so it was great for everybody yeah so, <laughs> so, so yes i mean so the, so um so, so yes there's a there's different ways in which we which we talk to people and the ward i represent which is marston is great in that it's um it's very mixed um when you when you plot the the, the city council wards in oxford you know in terms of deprivation and one thing or another oxford marston is almost solidly right in the middle and so i've got very beautiful conservation area village i've got pockets of severe deprivation but they are small pockets um and i've also got a lot of sort of in the middle lots of people who work in the public sector in the universities in the hospitals who are very well educated um don't earn a fortune never will do in those kind of jobs but are hugely engaged in public life and are concerned about the area where they live so that's great yeah it's, it's a good area it's nice to have that mix actually brilliant it's i mean for me it's fascinating to get this sort of insider's look from the councillor's point of view of you know what what some of the um contrasting aspects of of oxford are and particularly um in in the sort of the, the perspective of the town um so um uh, your cabinet member for culture, leisure and tourism at Oxford City Council um, and the, the main sort of core of, of the podcast is uh, we're talking about um, the future of tourism specifically uh, in the context
next of Oxford. But before we go to the future, let's have a look at, um, you know, what, what is your, uh, can you give us an overview of Oxford as a tourist destination, um, especially before the pandemic? And I think the pandemic has changed a lot of things and we'll, we'll look at how that has changed things. But let, let's have a kind of sort of um, litmus test as to, you know, where what was Oxford like as a tourist destination before the pandemic? Okay, well, Oxford, um, I think I'm right in saying um, it, it had about 7 million visitors a year. Oxford was generally um, a stop off on the way to other places. So people would come from London and would be going typically on somewhere like Stratford. And they would spend an average of an hour to an hour and a half in the city. So we had huge numbers of people coming through the city. Um, which was a challenge in terms of numbers, narrow medieval streets, um, and the fact that a lot of them weren't spending very much money. So, you know, people talk about over tourism, and I not, don't particularly like that term. Um, it's a bit, it, it's a bit too negative. But certainly, a lot of townspeople felt, oh, we don't really like going into Oxford in the summer. It's just too busy. Um, so. And coupled with that, Oxford has always been um, a great place for language schools. So we have vast numbers of young people coming in, trading off the name of the university and learning English here as well. So lots and lots of people coming in over the summer. So um, I think what the city has been trying to do and working with the destination management organization experience Oxfordshire is to encourage people to stay longer and this was something we were both committed to prior to the pandemic um, within our local plan we tried to make provision for more hotels that was one reason why there weren't many people staying overnight we simply didn't have the hotel capacity whereas Stratford had far more capacity um, so that's something that, that has gradually been improving and we're getting more hotels across the range from both the budget right up to the high end hotels. And I think that in time that we will see um, a difference, um, but it takes two or three years to see the change come through because particularly um, a lot of our Chinese visitors, um, those, they will make plans to come on a tour of Europe two or three years in advance. So it'll take a few years before we see that coming through. Um, and so it, it's a question of having lots of conversations with tour operators in, in countries like that and, and in the United States um, and, so, and to see that change. Um, we'll come on to the effect of the pandemic in a moment, but I just want to stay with this. Um, it was a, it's a surprise to me to hear that um, people were tourists were coming and only spending a couple of hours if that here on their way to Stratford because um, of course I have a particular interest in Oxford having been a student and, and I love it here and it's like what do you mean what's wrong with Oxford why apart from the the hotel situation um, what is it you know is it that you know Shakespeare trumps everybody else and Stratford or what is the messaging around things to see in in Oxford well, I think it's changed. Um, people do go on a quick tour um, of some of the colleges. I think partly um, there's more work that needs to be done with the colleges. They're not so open all the time. Now, obviously, when the students are there, there's all kinds of issues about having vast numbers of tourists going around. You can't do that. But um, 
I think we probably need to have a more sensible policy if we can um, with the with with the universities with the, with the university but with the, with the individual colleges about when they're open and perhaps to publicise that and to make it a bit more coordinated. Um, I mean, more more recently, the university has be the, the Oxford has become known primarily as a film set for Harry Potter. So bizarrely, um, that is what people come to Oxford for. And um, Christchurch has now got a new centre down there. So you can actually go and see where, where it was filmed. Um, and that's what lots of people want to, want to come to Oxford for. So the university is almost a secondary thing. Um, now, I don't know quite how we change that. Um, I don't really think that most of us want Oxford to be known primarily as, um, as a film set. We want it to be known for, for its lovely buildings, for its university and its fascinating history. Um, and and, and in terms, terms of um, things to do and tourist things that are not related to the university, which picks up your thread at the beginning yeah. of our conversation um, around um, town things yeah. uh, to, for people to take an interest in. Um, what are some of those things and 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 how how is the um the council and um tour operators um is there something to be done to perhaps um uh, raise the profile of those aspects oh and undoubtedly there is um and um one thing that people have talked about for a long time but haven't done a huge amount about is the fact that oxford turns its back on the river very different from cambridge where the backs are absolutely focal and people spend a lot of time walking along there and I think we could do far more to promote our green spaces and particularly the river but also we've got some gorgeous villages which are sort of part of the city you've got Ifley village you've got Old Headington you've got Wolvercut um, you know you've got some really lovely parts of the city and we perhaps need to try to encourage people to explore a bit further. I mean, some people go punting, that's good. Um, but all of these things require people to spend more time. And I think that if we can get to, to the position where people will spend a day, two or three days in Oxford, then they will, they will go over a wider area. And yes, we can do far more to point them to those places and work also with all our cultural partners and say, look, there's huge amounts of stuff going on, fantastic theatre, outdoor events. Um, please come and make the most of all of that. I'll, I'll, you know, as well as the Ashmolean, Modern Art Oxford, the Story Museum, we've got masses of stuff, you know, Pitt Rivers, History of Science Museum, you know, I could go on and on. And um, also, from my point of view, coming to Oxford, one of the things in helping me make a decision about different cities to move to, you know, Brighton was a contender. Um, but um, Oxford, uh, for me, I was looking at, you know, community, because I want to be, you know, to become an Oxford local, as it were. So yeah, I want to be, yeah. uh, to, to connect with my local community. And here in East Oxford, there's the Cowley Road Carnival, which sadly yes. this year can't happen. Um, and um, also there's that um, theatre company that does theatre in, in all kinds of different spaces, which sounds intriguing. Is that, is that creation? Is creation, creation theatre? Theatre? do a lot. Um, but uh, I mean, a lot of other companies are, are doing that, and particularly at the moment, because it's the, with all the constraints of being inside. So the Playhouse have had a Oxford, play, Oxford Plays Out thing, which, which goes out to different parts of the city. Um, and lots of theatre companies have in the past gone to colleges and used 
grounds there. So, so yes, um, the, there's quite a lot of outdoor theatre and, and events going on. And, and is that a way that it sort of also encourages um, local people to take part in culture um, in, in the city, not, not just people coming from, a, from yeah. far and wide, and that it's, it's potentially less intimidating to, um, I don't know, go to something that's, you know, somewhere outdoors or whatever, than to go into a theatre, um, a specific theatre? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that um, just as some people sadly think, oh, well, the university isn't for me, they might think twice about going into an art gallery or a theatre. But if they see something happening in the streets, if it's something like Cowley Road Carnival or the Christmas Light Festival, which we have had in the past, or St Giles Fair, May morning, um, very different events, but they kind of happen as you walk past. You don't need to buy into any particular view of culture. You can be part of it in a way, you can observe it. Um, and I think that that's important. I think it, it's important in terms of inclusion. And also it's a way back um, because for some time there will be people who are nervous about going into buildings with large numbers of people. So I think it, 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 it fulfills both purposes. And that's something we're really keen, keen to encourage more outdoor events and perhaps more small events because people feel safer with small ones. Um, but, and, and a lot of those are very peculiar just to Oxford and they make that, that gives that sense of community, that pride of place, whether it's Cowley Road Carnival or St Giles Fair, which has been going on for centuries. Um, yeah, very important for, for bringing people together. And I, I was quite struck, and again, very frustrated that I couldn't have my experience of May morning this year. Um, but what struck me was from what I've heard and seen on, on sort of YouTube and, and, and from, from people who are from uh, who have lived here is that when I was a student, May morning, um, we just crowded onto the pavement. This was the 1980s. Yeah. Traffic was still going. And I was like, I can't hear anything. They're up there in this ivory yeah. tower um, and the cars, traffic noise and, and so on. But but my understanding is that the council has been more actively engaged. And so you're closing off roads and, and things like that. Is yeah. that right? That's that's true. I mean, the, the, there are times I, I, I don't quite know. It, it's, it's, be, it's gradually in, evolved. There was a time where students, well, not necessarily just students, people would get typically very drunk and would jump from um, the parapets of um, Mordor Bridge. And particularly when the river levels were very low, um, they were carted off to the John Radcliffe Hospital with, with various broken bones and things. It was really quite dangerous. So action had to be taken. So we've got a committee which is, involves the county council, the city, Thames Valley Police, and the other emergency services um, to come up with a plan which enables people to enjoy May morning, but, but keep safe. And I think now that you have the road closures, um, it makes it, it makes it a very different occasion because people spill out of the streets. You've got Morris dancers, you've got all kinds of different groups, and it does seem genuinely mixed. You get a lot of townspeople who go there as well as um, as students, and that's great because there aren't that many things where you get both parts of Oxford together. And I really think you do with May morning. And, and that sort of picks up on your theme of sort of integrating the, the two yeah. aspects of Oxford, which is which is really lovely. Um, so um, how has lockdown affected tourism in, in Oxford? Well, I mean, it, initially it did basically came 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 to a halt. Um, 
And we had a successful campaign last summer called Rediscover Oxford, which was very much aimed at domestic visitors um, and specifically people from Oxford itself. They come and discover your city and getting people to talk about their own special places in Oxford. You know, where, where, where you know, where's the place you, you know, you met your partner or, you know, the first pub you went to, all kinds of things that were personal and quirky, but actually help people to think of, think of parts of Oxford, which weren't just the ones that the, the sort of the, the iconic ones, you know, um, and that was really successful. And we got a lot of people coming in to Oxford. And I think we want to want to build on that again this year because we're still going to we're still going to have travel restrictions this summer. Um, so, I mean, Oxford is hit in a number of ways. So the tourist, the foreign tourist trade disappeared. And we didn't have any students around because the students went home in March and didn't come back until October. Um, so that changed the whole feel of the city. Um, very, very low footfall as well. So that's been a real challenge, not just because we didn't have the students or the tourists, but actually surveys suggest that of all the cities in the country, Oxford was, had one of the ones with fewest people returning physically to work in the city. So you didn't even have the people coming in to offices um, and shops as, as you did before. So that, that's another way in which the economy has been badly hit. Um, and so that must be quite a concern for the city and for businesses uh, and, and, and so on. So um, what, um, how, how do we bring not just visitors, but people back um, into the city um, in, o over the next few years? And, you know, what is the City Council doing um, to, to meet these challenges? Okay. Um, I mean, I think I think I perhaps said a bit about what we're trying to do in terms of tourism and making people stay longer. But in terms of the city itself, um, we're looking really to expand the reasons why people might want to come into the city. So we don't want them just coming in to shop. Um, we would like them to come in because there are cafes, there are cultural things, services, you know, hairdressers, opticians, all kinds of things like that. And it's something that we're finding is happening across the country, that the high street is no longer just a place um, of shops. It's a place where you come and you know, you access all kinds of services and experiences too. So we are trying as far as we can to um, be flexible in those uses. Um, we're also trying to encourage the number of independent shops as well. So we've got the Westgate, which is a great pull, um, but we also think that it's good to have something as an alternative to the Westgate, not in competition, but complementary. And we're lucky to have the covered market, which is very old, lovely building, well-established, and some lovely streets around there, which tend to have independent businesses. Now the city council itself is quite a large landowner um, in the city centre, which gives us quite a lot of scope to influence those things ourselves. So what we're trying to do with the covered market and, and other units we own is to make lease terms shorter and more flexible and in the covered market to cut down the size of units. So sometimes you have people who perhaps have been at a craft fair at um, 
um, a farmer's market and they think, well, perhaps I'd quite like something a bit more permanent, but I don't want to take a huge risk. I don't want a massive unit and commit to a 15 year lease. I want to just give it a go. So we're trying to encourage more pop-ups and more flexible terms so that people perhaps have a sort of a pathway into, in, into setting up a business. Um, and while we find that retail, demand for retail is, is, is pretty good, um, we identified a shortage before the pandemic of um, space for startups, tech startups particularly. Lots of businesses want to be in the city centre close to the university science area, and um, particularly in life sciences. So I think we might find some empty units being repurposed for things like that. Um, and that will, that will help to increase footfall as well. So potentially some creative ways of thinking outside the box um, and kind of using the pandemic lockdown as a way of, well, actually the old way of doing property leases um, needs to change. And it sounds like the city council is actually taking a lead that perhaps private landlords may may still um, um, have their particular way of doing it. But because you have the advantage of having property um, that you can actually think creatively to ha- of how you can use them to stimulate business, stimulate um, retail and also um, uh, uh, researchers, uh, startups and, and so on. Um, you, you mentioned also experience, sort of to encourage people to have experiences, not just for shopping. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Right. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a jargon sort of term in people in, in sort of the, the retail analysts use. So people talk about convenience shopping where you just dash in and you buy your pint of milk or your cat food or whatever, your tube of toothpaste, and then you dash out and you just want somewhere where you can get in quickly and you can go out. It's, it, it's a transactional thing. But a lot of that is now going online. Why traipse all the way into a shop when you can buy something? fairly basic that you buy time and time again um, and, and obviously there is a, a big um, a big pull towards online but the thing that seems to be growing is where you go to a shop or a cafe you stay for longer and how should I put it you it, I say it's an, an experience whether it's the way it's set up or it offers a range of different things so for example, bookshops, which also do book readings, and they have little cards which say, Mrs. So-and-so really recommends this book. You know, if you, you're looking for a, a, a thriller about X or Y, this is a great one. And you engage with that. You become part of a, of a, of a reading community. Or bakeries which run courses on bread baking or patisserie or whatever and you build up a community like that now it might seem a bit niche but actually I think there's quite a lot to be said for that sort of thing you know and bike shops which will you know will sell you a bike but will also um, have um, cycling clubs linked to them and and cafes so multi-purpose ones Um, so I think that 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 that's that's a growing thing too 
Sounds great. And actually, I was in the Westgate Centre um, this morning, um, dashing in to buy something. <laughs> um, and I, I, I noticed actually in, in the lower ground floor, there's that green space where you've got deck chairs. Oh, yes, um, and yes. people are just sort of hanging out. And, yeah. and I think people are just enjoying, you know, whatever good weather we've got this mm. rather depressing yeah. summer. Um, but but uh, and also just desperate to, to get out and be with people, even even strangers, you know, just for me, you know, being around people was was really lovely. Um, yeah having been stuck at home for, yeah. for so long yeah no I agree and just sort of watch the world go by it's something mm. that we haven't been able to do and yeah and, and I noticed the Cowley Road Carnival, um, they've put out this thing saying, um, you know, we can't have a carnival this year, but we encourage um, people to um, have a street party and, and to yes. self-organise and, and apply um, uh, for whatever permits are needed to close off the road and, and, and do your own thing. And, and so that sort of, again, they've had to be innovative and, and in a way collaborative um, to engage people to take on ownership of the carnival as, as it were yes. in, in in a smaller way and and i think that some of those new uses will stay with us and will be to our advantage so the arts organizations had to move fairly swiftly to put things online things that they hadn't done before um, but i think now you, you used to get a few live streams and things like that but it's extended far more and there's been far more experimental things now and I think that's great I'm sure some of that will stay with us and it means it will reach a larger audience so it doesn't matter you don't have to be in Oxfordshire to watch a wonderful play at the Oxford Playhouse you know you can be on the other side of the world and um, just to pick up what you said about the, the Rediscovering Oxford uh, event, um, um, about find, uh, uh, sharing um, your special place, do, do you have a special place or special places in Oxford um, that you would like to tell our listeners about? I probably, yeah, I do. And I mean, some of them are those places that, that I remember from my childhood. So walking down through Ifley Village, and, and then over Ifley Lock, feeding the ducks, and then walking into town with my father, um, who loved the Oxford bookshops and, 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 and doing that. Um, and then I, I love Queen's Lane, actually. Walking down there, I think that's an absolute gem. And um, for for people who don't know Queen's Lane, could you describe it? For them? Yeah. So you you set so so you set off really from from Broad Street, and you go down Cat Street down by the side of um, of the Bodleian, under, you sort of go, you sort of veer around to the left to by the Bridge of Size, and you just follow the road round by the back of New College and um, Queen's College, and then you come out on the High Street, and it's a narrow little lane, and you're at the backs of the college, and it's just very lovely and very, very intimate. Yeah, that's one of my favourite places. Yes, it's sort of the place where you suddenly you walk away, you're you step away from all the hustle and the bustle mm. and you're back in medieval Oxford. Yes. Um, exactly. It's quite magical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, that's one of the things I like about Oxford. Um, it's, it, well, it's both a good thing and a bad thing. Oxford's got lots of sort of hidden, hidden doors. There's lots of hidden over high walls and behind large gates. Um, and that's, that's both, it's both great when you discover it, but also there's a sense and it comes back to some of my concerns I mentioned at the beginning. It's about keeping people out and people feeling, oh, I could never go beyond those huge gates, those big walls. It's, it's, it's inward looking and um, it's how you get the balance between those hidden secrets, but also um, opening things up for people too.
Mm. Um, and I'm going to throw in a couple of, uh, I've got so many, I've got to choose which ones. I think um, behind the high walls of Magdalen College, when they do open it up for visitors, um, and I think it's on their website when they'll tell you, um, you can go through and there's the gorgeous deer park. Um, yes. And there are these live deer just sort of amazing. milling about. It's, yeah, it is that is incredible, amazing. actually. Yeah. And I don't know how many tourists get down there to see that, but it is quite extraordinary. But it has got a deer park right in the centre. Absolutely. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. Um, so um, what is your vision for Oxford uh, as a visitor destination in years to come? If you if you could sort of, you know, do your big visionary thing, what would you love it to be? Well, I'd like Oxford still to be sort of a city of international renown, somewhere that people come because they realise it's a place of of excellence. It's a lovely visually attractive city but also it's um, a very diverse city as well um, people have come here for centuries from all over the world and have made Oxford an extraordinary place um, lots of different communities here and that's one of our strengths perhaps it started with um, the academic world where people came from all over the place um, but it, it, you find it at every level within Oxford. We've got a vast number of different ethnic communities here, um, all pulling together. You know, some extraordinary things went on during the pandemic involving the mosques, setting out food parcels and things. Um, so we're a city of sanctuary, supporting refugees. And I think that's something we can build on, our, our, our international reputation there, something that we're very proud of and we should protect. Um, but also, I, I want us to be a more equal city, a city where people feel that the wealth of things that go on are there for everybody um, and that we open them up and that, that everyone can enhance their life from being part of this city. Wonderful. And for our listeners who having um, heard all this stuff about Oxford um, and might be ooh, inspired to come, we hope, um, what might you what, what would you say to them as the sort of final last word before we wrap up? Um, I think it's a city that's um, best seen slowly and on foot. Um, so I would say just sort of take your time, um, try and discover some of the back routes. And as I say, definitely go down Queen's Lane, um, some of the lovely other little streets like Turl Street, St Michael's Street, um, really, really, really lovely places in the, in, in, in the city. Um, go and visit some colleges. Every college is, is different and beautiful. The Botanic Gardens, um, wonderful place to visit. Um, and also try and get outside a bit. Try to go, you know, wander up to Port Meadow, to Wolvercut or to Ifley Village or the Cowley Road. I mean, the Cowley Road is fantastic. It has the most amazing selection of shops and restaurants and a real life and vibrancy, um, which is very different, really, really different from the sort of traditional image of Oxford. But every bit is wonderful and as exciting. So it, I think definitely definitely go and spend some time it's not far you know walk up St Clements Cowley Road it's not very far from the high street so it's wor worth making that effort. Brilliant thank you so much Councillor Mary Clarkson for being on this podcast. Thank you it's been great fun. My creative conversation today was with Councillor Mary Clarkson. There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. You can use the bit.ly short link 
bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. Or you can go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and click through to creative conversations. If you're interested to read or hear more about Oxford, you can go to the Oxford Moments blog. Go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and this time click through to Oxford Moments. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. Or you can subscribe to the show or leave us a lovely review on anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify. You can find it by searching for Creative Conversations and my surname, Ui, and I'll spell that for you, O-O-I. All this will help more people hear about the show. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at tigerspirituk. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Yeah.